Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Office Hours, where we sit down with the chief executives shaping the world and we answer your most pressing questions about leadership, career, and life. I'm Mike Steib, and today, today's a great day. When I started this pod, I imagined sitting down with a friend I admire who has great advice to share with our audience, and the first person who came to my mind was Tim Armstrong. Tim is the CEO of Flowcode, the QR platform that creators and brands use. is used by 70% of the Fortune 1000. He was previously the CEO who achieved the impossible mission of turning around AOL. Before that, Tim was the first U.S. sales leader for Google, later the president of Google Americas, where he became, most importantly, my boss and my friend. T.A., welcome to the show. Mike, well, first of all, I gotta, what are you doing with your pipes? My pi- your pipes are here, your arms. Well, you guys, what are you you doing? The good thing about a podcast is that somebody somebody can claim I look like I'm in shape and you'll never know. The audience will never know if that's true. 21 inch guns, I see. If that's true or not. Hey, folks. You look great. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, you get over 40, you start making up for lost time, I guess. I don't know. Tim, <laughs> get refocused. We're going to take. Back in. Back in the podcast. We're going to take. We got questions from the audience. Yeah. People really want to hear about the arc of your career. Uh, they're looking for advice on where to take theirs. We've yep. got a couple fun ones at the end. So if it's all right, we're just going to grip and Let's rip. Let's go. So the first one is Jack in Tennessee. There have been hundreds of thousands of layoffs in the tech industry, including in software as a service and Web3 companies that were all the rage until last year. Now all the focus is on AI. I feel like there's a lot of risk and a lot of opportunity right now, especially as I'm early in my career, but I don't know where to focus. What's your advice? So, Tim, for your, for context, you went to Google after the dot-com bust had started. You could have easily gone to a big, safe company. You could have also gone to Yahoo or Pets.com. Maybe give everybody that context first, and then your broader perspective on the on the space. I'm going to tell you a story I don't tell publicly. Is okay. I, When I went to go work in the internet, I worked for Paul Allen's company, Starwave. It got bought by Disney. This is in the 90s. Mm-hmm. We did ESPN.com, NFL.com, et cetera. Anyways, I got moved to New York from Seattle. 
Disney put me on their internet strategy team with a couple consultants from McKinsey and Disney bought InfoSeek and a couple other companies and I got put on the team to go visit the other companies. All these companies that Disney was were investing in were all losing money on the internet. We go to InfoSeek and we're interviewing the InfoSeek management team and Salesforce and two of the salespeople get into a screaming match over the value of the keywords. And so we get back, we do all the McKinsey work with Disney and we come back and do the strategy. And one of the big strategies was to do go.com, which is what I the big that. portal that Disney built. I, in the meeting, I was saying, hey, we should do search. The only thing we saw in all these meetings that was valuable were the search keywords and they were sold out on a bunch of categories. So if we want to make money doing this, we should go do search. So fast forward, um, Google, I've been at another company that we took public, but Google called and said, hey, we heard you are an internet advertising person and know a lot about it. And we're thinking about getting into internet ads. So I met with Omid Kordestani, um, who you know well, and uh, and then flew out to meet with uh, Larry and Sergey, had breakfast with Sergey. And, you know, Sergey was asking me, he's like, hey, Google's not a big company. We're not in ads really yet. Why are, you, why are you interested in coming here? And I told him that story about InfoSeek. And I said, hey, the bottom line is I use Google now as a user. I know the value of, the, of what the search is and how clean it is. I also know from that InfoSeek experience, you guys are probably sitting on a gold mine of you know, ads. And Google had just started getting into ads when they hired me. But that, that was basically how I ended up at Google. But again, I'm going to go back to my original story. I knew what I was talking about because I had been in the details. So it wasn't a right. blank shot in the dark for me. And I think that's making career choices. I think the more educated you are in a space is really important when you think about making career changes. I'd also say to our audience, you're allowed to ask for the receipts. If you're thinking about giving a company a year, two years, three years yes. or more of your life, you're yes. now an investor. Yes. You're investing your time. Ask them the revenue, ask them the revenue growth, ask them the cost, ask them yes. how much cash is on the balance sheet. What are the 10 KPIs they watch? Are they up or down? And at any company under a thousand people, if you're getting hired there, somebody in finance should be willing to sit down with you at some point in the interview process if you ask for it and show you what you're getting into. Yes. And Mike, I'd say when you, when you came to Google, you went off and pioneered a brand new space um, for Google, which was outside of the normal space we were in. And I think you, your decision process to come to Google, I'd love, love to hear that because you came to a company that had gotten a little bit of traction, but you also went to a brand new space that candidly, not many people at Google were really focused on, which was the video space. It ended up being a big, big space, but you went into TV and started working on that. How did you make your decision? Well, I wasn't, the, the company had gone public three years before. I wasn't exactly pioneering something like you were. So for our audience, Tim was sitting in the 86th Street Starbucks running a sales team of one when he got there. And tell the fax story. Like you didn't even have a fax machine. The first order I got at Google, I called Mountain View and I said, hey, look, the bottom line is I just got an ad order, but I need a fax machine. And I figured it was Larry or Sergey said, show us the order. And I said, well, I can't show you the order. I just need a fax machine. I'll show it. He goes, well, we don't want to spend the money on the fax machine unless you can prove that you had the order. <laughs> so I think I ended up having the customer write me an email saying, yes, we're going to put this order in. But that's how two, two lessons that. One is how into the detail Larry and Sergey were, and two is how careful they were about cost structure. Google looks right. like a spending machine, but the reality was back then it was very careful about uh, about spending. The fax machine story is a great story, though. So it was an easy call for me. The company was doing $10 million of free cash flow a day when I came to Google, and Google wanted to get in the TV and video space, and I had background there, and I was like, I can take something I have some background in, parlay it into what appears to be the most important company 
in the most important space at a really exciting time. So I was uh, I was thrilled to I was thrilled to be a part of it. Next question is also about Google. Hey, this is Maria from Denver. Google invented in many ways the way tech companies operate today, the way they build, the way they go to market. So much of that started with Google. Can you talk about what it was like, what you learned, and what you might have been able to carry forward to other companies? What I was thought was so magical about the place was it had that operational rigor that Eric and the team he put in place brought, and it never lost that sort of creativity and innovation. I remember when one of my early meetings at Google, I was so excited. Both founders were going to be there. Eric was going to be there. You're there. It's like a big meeting. And while we're doing this business review with Eric, one of the founders was throwing his phone up in the air and catching it, and then throwing it up higher and then catching it. And finally, Eric very patiently says, Sergey, what are you doing with your phone? And Sergey said, oh, we're building a new phone and I've put an accelerometer in it. And right in, like, nobody knew Android was coming at the time. Nobody knew that whole strategy was you had people who were inventors sitting yes. there doing the cool stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. And like, you know, and those people shouldn't be losing cycles thinking about how you roll out the quarterly OKRs yes. and the HR calibrations yes. and so on. While the operators make room for people like that to continue to invent. Yeah. It was it was a really uh No, exceptional. I remember the one, one meeting I had with Larry and Sergey, they had a camera with the lens off and it was upside down and they built this kind of like tripod thing. And while I was meeting with them, they're like, do you mind turning the pages of this book, like while I'm talking to them about the ads business, and they're clicking the the camera shutter, and I'm like, finally, I'm like, what do you? What, just so I, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you guys, but what what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're building, we want to build Google Images, but we want to figure out how to get every book in the world in. But we figured we, if we figured out how to use a camera to get pictures of every book, we could probably do the, you know, congressional library. And it's like that stuff would happen all the time. But that's how you know, you know, innovative and inventive they were, and the whole culture was. Oh, it was really great. So the next question um, is parlays well into the next question. Hi, this is B from Seattle. Both of you chose to leave Google, arguably, you know, one of the best, most successful companies in the world, to take the helm of public companies that were really struggling. So I just want to know, like, what drew you to these more challenging scenarios? Thanks. You go first. Why did you? Uh, why did you on, go? Did you come you on, go tell me. So there is this. Um, Apocryphal quote, Caesar once said to one of his friends, he pointed to a small village and said, I'd rather be number one in that village than number two in Rome. Wow. And there's something about having the agency, having the opportunity to be the person who decides the direction for an organization, set the strategy and really, really be on the hook to fix it. And I got to Google a little bit earlier. You got there a lot earlier. It still felt like a small company where you owned a lot and you could have a lot of impact. And as it got bigger and you left and other people came in and it got bureaucratic, suddenly it felt like a place where you went to offsites and did PowerPoints. And I was like, they wouldn't miss me if I wasn't here. And you're not going to believe this. After I left Google, the stock price, it didn't go down. (laughs) So it it turns out the place I went and the place I went, which was smaller and which was was a mess at the time, um, the stock price went up a lot and it was because of the things that the team I put together yep. did. And yep. that's like is the best it's the best feeling in the world. Amazing. It's the best. No, it's amazing. You went to you went to I mean I give you credit before you went to Google after the dot com bust and you didn't go to a bunch of messed up internet companies and then you went to AOL. Yep. You went to AOL late. Yep. And things at AOL were a mess. Yep. So I left what brought uh, you in there? Left well I left I, I went there because 
I believed in um, the fact that AOL could have another chapter. And I think that most people in the world had given up on it. And, I, and you know, having gone to Google when it was really young, I mean, people thought I was crazy going to Google. And I saw the opportunity there. And, and from the outside, you know, I was, I was the main partner liaison with AOL when I was at Google. So I understood the value of AOL probably as much as almost anyone did. And when Jeff Bukas came to me about going to AOL, I realized it would be opportunity to do two things. One is what you just said is like really take your talent and try to maximize them to, to help another company out and a group of people. And I thought I had enough talent. I didn't have all the experience, but I thought like I could probably learn things as I went. And the second one was I thought there were big open spaces on the internet that had not been fully fulfilled yet. And the platform companies were likely not to be great at. Um, so I thought AOL had the scale and distribution and horsepower to do those things. So I went in, I, I will say like, I was a shock when I went in, I left Google. Google had like, I don't know, hundreds of billions of dollar market cap when I left or 150, Every, Everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Nothing <laughs> hurt, it was awesome. And then I left on a Friday and went to AOL on a Monday and AOL had gone from 150 billion down to essentially 1 billion market cap. So it was the difference in 48 hours of seeing a culture, probably one of the best cultures that's ever been built in Google and in, uh, in the business world, and then walking into a company where the, where the culture had really, there was a lot of incredible people at AOL, but the culture had gone from 150 billion down to one. And I think the first day I was there was, was I think it, it dawned on me day one that I was like, this is probably everything I thought it was gonna be, plus, 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 plus. And I'm sure you had this similar experience. And so I don't know, I, I, I think it was the best it was the toughest decision um, and probably the toughest thing I've done in my career, but it was also, I don't regret any of it. There were really hard times, but I think it was an opportunity for the company and for AOL, and it was an opportunity for me and the people we worked with. Um, and I really, there was a time period at AOL that was as special as the Google time period for me, and that was really incredible. We've got a commercial sponsor. Stay tuned. Tyler, who's getting his uh, MBA at HBS. Hi, I'm such a huge fan of the show. Uh, I just have a quick question. A lot of your listeners, including myself, dream of starting their own business. Could you share how you came up with the ideas for your companies and what it took to get them off the ground? Thank you. In the case of Flowcode, um, I traveled around the world after I sold AOL to Verizon and I studied all the direct-to-consumer businesses I could, I could meet with and find. And I happened to be in China and I saw on the street, I was late for a meeting one day in Shanghai and ended up buying noodles with a QR code. And this is before the pandemic. I realized that the, the camera didn't actually try to pull up an app. It went right directly to a website to try to get me to pay. And I thought, that's unusual. I thought with QR codes, you needed an app. So that night after my meetings, I met with some, like Metawan and, and some of the big Chinese internet companies. At my hotel room that night, I went back and read all the product documentation from Apple and Android, and I realized in 2017 they turned the um, camera on native for QR. And then I started calling computer science departments to see if I could get them to invest with me and give me some researchers to look at the space. And everyone said the same thing. Tim, QR, they're like, this is a direct quote. Someone said, you went from Google to AOL and now you're going to QR codes, you know? And what, what people didn't realize like, is- Next you're going to be selling pens that you have to yes, dip in the yeah, ink to yes, write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to start making paper. Um, so, but the thing people didn't realize was I was walking around planet Earth realizing that every 
everyone's phone worked for QR and could be direct to consumer. And everyone else was walking around the planet Earth thinking QR codes were dead. And I was willing to put the time and energy into doing it. And then the pandemic, we got a huge tailwind from the pandemic. That's undeniable. But it was another case where I saw a disruption zone of humans love their smartphones and smartphones love to eat software. And everybody, everybody in the business is going to have to battle platform companies to be direct to consumer eventually. And the b- business we built at Flowcode is doing that. The, the NBA just invested in us. We work with the NFL, NHL. We're doing stuff for Premier League this summer, F1. So like other people have recognized the fact that this, this is a great way to go direct to consumer. And if any of our listeners don't know, when you see a QR code and it's like a boring square QR code, that's the old version. You see these like cool round branded ones, that's Flowcode. And it's now, it's like 70% of the Fortune 100. Fortune 1000, use them. Yes. So we we rebranded them. We uh, put privacy, data privacy behind them, put machine learning behind them. We treated it like the internet. We treat QR codes like how the internet works. What's so interesting to me about this this adventure for you is you sold AOL to Verizon. Presumably, they're flying you all over the country on the private jet. Like, life is really good and it's cush. And you were like Rocky IV back to the old Jim, when you started this thing, you were telling me the story about walking around town looking for office space. Yeah. Share that with the audience. So the first day I started Flowco, because I'd run my own business back in Boston and, and done a couple other startups. So I basically had to get in founder zone. And I, from an intensity level, I just had some experiences. I told you the story before, Mike, but I was I was on vacation and ran into Tom Brady at, at a pool. And I, I don't know Tom that, As that well. But, no, no, As one I, does. As one does. Anyways, I, I've known him for a while. That we're, we're not best friends or anything, but I, but I know him. So I, I, you know, mentioned him, hey, I'm going to TB12, uh, you know, next week is his workout place. Which is his workout Boston. thing, yeah. You know, and, and he looked at me and said, what are your goals? And I'm like, I was like, I don't know, other than I'm fat, like that's goal, goal one is to like try to shed some pounds. <laughs> but, but we talked for about 45 minutes about health and, and the intensity level of conversation. I was just starting to go do flow code and I'm like, that's one of the humans on the planet who's absolutely does takes his job as ser- seriously as a heart attack that guy is is on it so i said i'm going to have that mentality when i start flow code what would i do i need to get back to founder mentality the first day i started the company i drove to manhattan i parked on the upper east side on on park avenue i got out of my car and i walked which i used to do when i had my newspaper i started walking down park avenue out of Park Avenue, one of the big buildings on Park Avenue, a big group of people all dressed in suits come out. And one of the people there, this guy named Faraz, who's a big, big investor, you probably know him, Mike, says, hey, Tim Armstrong, what are you, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm starting a company. I'm starting a direct-to-consumer company. And um, today's day one, and I'm walking downtown to uh, find an office. And I, he said, I can't believe you're starting a direct-to-consumer company. I said, we just got out of the Kraft Heinz uh, board meeting, and these are all the board members, and we just talked about direct-to-consumer. So, so I had that this conversation. This is like how Forrest Gump starts yes, a company. It's, yes. not, it just, everybody, no, it gets, it's, it's not usually this easy, this, everybody. The story gets better. <laughs> so then I walk through Grand Central, the tunnel at Grand Central Station, and I hear, hey, Tim. I look over at Shelby Bonney, the, the, the yeah, founder of, of uh, CNET. He says, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm starting a company today. Today's my first day. He goes, hey, do you want to grab lunch? I said, yeah. So we sat down. We, we talked about what I was planning on doing. He said, hey, do you mind if I tell Alan and company? Well, when I get back to, he's, he was a partner at Alan Company. So leave him. He goes back to uh, talk to Alan and company. They're an investor now in Flowcode. Um, I walk all the way downtown because I wanted the office to be downtown. I walk to the Soho Apple store. I walk in the Apple store. I'm, I'm buying a laptop and I hear, Tim? 
And it's Tom Phillips, the former president of Starwave. And he says, what are you doing here? I said, today I'm starting a company. And I'm like about to go look for office space. He goes, I'm, lo- I'm here looking for office space. I have Scott Galloway, the NYU professor, yeah. and I are partners. Do you want to share an office together? And I said, hell yes, let's, let's, let's do it. So that literally was day one. I ended up moving in the office with Scott and Tom, and we were office mates uh, to get the company started down at uh, 72 Spring Street on the corner of Crosby and Spring. And, you know, uh, startups are really hard. That that story sounds fun. It's day one. But we've been through all the trials and tribulations. And, you know, I work from, I don't know, 5.30 a.m. to 7.30 at night every day. Um, I worked all weekend. I was in the office all weekend this past weekend in New York. So it's, um, I enjoy it though. But it, it's definitely, it's, it's, if you're doing startup life, you got to be all in. You got to be all in. You got to be all in. You know it. I mean, it's... You, it's amazing. You, but yeah. look, most people, once they've been the CEO of a company, they no longer know how to connect their computer to the printer. <laughs> and you were out there on the ground looking for office space. Now, yeah. the fact that everybody then saw you and knew you and made it easy, that wasn't the point. The point was <laughs> you were ready to go deep and do it the hard I way. I say this, Mike, I'm a better leader today and a better CEO than I was before. And it's I don't have an assistant. I'm like, I'm I'm... A lot more capable as a human being than I was eight years ago, and I think it's because I went back to going back to ground zero and learned everything from scratch. And um, I've been really happy. I mean, I've been like enjoy the company, and it's, it's really hard work, but um, awesome. but I'm glad I did it. We're doing it. I mean, when you took over RC, by the way, tell me what what did you do to train yourself to be able to run the company in that market? The first thing I did was I started going to galleries. I started trying to buy art. And the very first one I went to, um, I walked in. I'd actually been in the park playing uh, football with my son. So I was like, come on, let's go over to this gallery. And we go to the gallery. And I walk in. And and guys, I didn't own any art. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I was thinking about Perfect taking customer. the job. Uh, yeah. Perfect customer. So you would think. And yeah. I was thinking about t- yeah. taking over this company. And I walked in and nobody would talk to me. And so I was like, uh, hey, excuse me. Um, how much is this? Now that I've been in the art world a while, I realize how much I was embarrassing myself. But at the time, I didn't know. I said, how much is this? And they're like, um, you know, it's, that's been placed. And I was like, placed where? Just like, with a collector. And I was like, oh, well, how about this one? They're like, that's been placed. I said, well, how much was it? You know, I was curious. Yeah. Like, how much was it? They were like, it's been placed. I was like, okay. I was like, do you have any art I can buy? And they're like, we're happy to like put you on the list and get you deeper in the program. And it was like that scene in Pretty Woman yeah. where they won't sell anything to Julia Roberts and then she goes and buys a bunch of art somewhere else and comes back. She buys a bunch of like, she goes shopping and buys yeah. some stuff, comes back. I'm, I was like, I'm going to do that with art. This is My goal is I'm going to come back to Get this some gallery someday. Bags. I'm going to carry all my art that I bought on Artsy back and be like, you work on commissions, right? Like big mistake. <laughs> but what I learned, so yeah. by doing it, what I learned is that the, the fool in that story was me because what the galleries are doing is they're helping to craft the the, the arc of an, of an artist's career. And a big way they do that is by placing the art with the right collectors who are not going to run off and sell the painting tomorrow um, but and who are going to tell their friends about the collector and that they're going to hang that art with other important art in their home. And it helps to build the career of an artist. So the gallery was doing the right thing. I was doing the wrong thing. But my thesis was we could combine the best of how those galleries sort of shape an artist's yeah. career with the things that the internet does which is more transparency and more confidence in purchase and better aggregation and being able to find the thing and be connected to the thing you love and click a button and have confidence that everything that just transacted is above board. And so we've, you know, we've worked the last three years to really marry the both. Um, and it's working pretty well, but that was, I started like, 
But I started buying paintings. That, so by the way, by you, the way, I own a ton of paintings now. Yeah, I bet. We're, I bet, almost, I bet. we're basically out of walls. So. By the way, <laughs> it's the let me best. ask you a question. If you hadn't, if just to say you went in to be CEO, but you didn't take the time to go have those experiences, what do you think your success rate, what do you think by having that level of detail, your I would success- have, I would have ruined the company. Right. I would have ruined the company. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot. I think and, people and, don't because know the in details. every yeah. like any industry you go into, every company you go in and they say, look at this this industry, this business, this yep. is this is different. And everybody who thinks they're smarter than everybody else comes in and like, yeah, 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 right. I've seen this before. Like and the truth is you haven't. You have to go deep in every new subject area yep. and really understand the thing. So kudos to you for Kudos parking the car and walking around town until you found an office space and <laughs> Tom Phillips and all those other wonderful things happen to you. Quick commercial break and we will be right back. I got one from Chris in Hudson, New York. My dad was a salesman and always told me that every job is, in essence, a sales job. Do you share this perspective? And could you give us some pointers on how to be better at sales? When somebody says yes, that's when business starts. And yeah. when somebody says no, that's when you, that's what, that's the value of sales. And I think the, the premise of a company has to be amazing at customer interface and it has to be amazing at product. And if you have one without the other on either side, companies don't work well. So I think it's worthwhile for all the focus there is on product and services and technology, which is a ton, and that's why I spend most of my time at Flowcode on, it's really important you know how to run a revenue machine. And the revenue machine, a lot of it comes down to whether or not customers can understand your value proposition cleanly and if you can solve a problem for them. And that's really what sales is about. I don't know how you feel about it. but I think the premise that sort of every job is sales is like, it's in, in most cases, I really do think it's, yeah. it's right. And I'd say in almost any endeavor, if you want to be a leader, you've got, I'm with you. You have to be a good salesperson. And if I were to, you know, my, 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 my note for, for Chris on this topic is, I have found that studying human psychology is really valuable. Read Daniel Kahneman, read all yeah. the, read all, read all, read Roy Baumeister, everything that is on um, on how people make decisions, uh, what makes their brain tick. You're trying, you're trying to get someone to change their mind, and it's like what we talked about before. You ca- you can't really change someone else's mind unless you understand how the mind works. Yes. So I would just say number one, human psychology is really important. Second thing I see people in sales, the difference between the good one, the bad ones and the good ones is the bad ones talk the whole time and the good ones ask a lot of questions, Yes, right? Because number three, you're there to solve problems yep. and you can't solve someone's problem if you're talking at them. And if you walk, if you go into a sales engagement with the idea that you may not have the right answer for this person, like you're recruiting someone, you might not be the right company for them. You're trying to get somebody to buy your product. It may not be the right product for them. Get to know what they need. And then if you really believe they need it, tell them why you believe it. And if you don't, Thanks for your time. You and move I, along. One, one metric I like to use is when I go to talk to customers, I try to keep my talking to 15% of the time. 15. And it's hard. But that. But if you have a 1585 in a meeting, my guess is you're going to have- You're going to close the deal. Yes. You're very, the deal. very high level of As long success. as you ask for it. I, Michael Bloomberg one time said his number one advice, he's, ever, he's like the best advice he's ever gotten, always ask for the order never sell past the close. So I always remind the team of that one too. If you're in a meeting and they say yes. Yes, stop. Pack your stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't yes. tell them 10 more I'll things. It's I'll time send, to go. I'll send you the it's paperwork. It's time to go. I'll send you the paperwork. <laughs> Tim, this has been 
an absolute pleasure. Chock full of wisdom, and I know the audience <laughs> is going to love it, but just for me to spend this yeah, time, Mike, this focused time with you, and, and, I really uh, appreciate you so it, man. much, and I knew you'd be a big-time CEO someday, and it's great to see how, how, how your career has gone. Thank you, Tim. Well, my friends, I really enjoyed that. Tim has been a friend and a mentor and someone I've really admired my whole career, and it was a thrill to have him on today. I'm sure you enjoyed it just as much. One thing I want to really highlight from this discussion and from Tim's career is that he has consistently moved from a comfortable to an uncomfortable role in his career. He was at the top of the game at Google when everything was great, and he left to take on a challenging turnaround of a public company that had been through a lot of distress. He grew that company 5X, he sold it, he had a big job at the acquiring company, and he left because he had never started his own business before, and he had an idea, and he wanted to try it. And someone with that kind of growth mindset, someone who takes on those kinds of hard challenges, is someone who just gets better and better at their craft and becomes a stronger and stronger leader every year. And I've seen it firsthand in Tim. And as you're crafting your own career, I hope you'll keep that in mind, that sometimes the harder job, the less easy path, often, is the one that's going to lead you to some really great things, professionally and personally. So with that, I'll remind everyone, if you want to submit a question for me and our future guests, you can use the link in the description. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, at Mike Stibe, or you can call us and leave your voicemail, and we'll put you on the air, 213-419-0596. You can leave your question in a voicemail at 213-419-0596. I want to thank Tim, and of course... Jen and Meg, Jada, Matt, and the whole team at Blue Duck Media for pulling this all together. Dylan and Christopher at iHeart and Ben and the team at William Morris Endeavor for all of their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media, and it is distributed by iHeartRadio. Thanks, everybody, and stay on your grind. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.